Well, it's n- nice to be with you again today and uh, grateful to Graham for the invitation uh, to come back and speak at Moonysburn on this cold winter uh, Sunday morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to J- John chapter 21. I want to try and wrap up a series that I have been doing for a while on the life of Peter. So I'm sorry it's not a Christmas message. If you want a Christmas message, we have a Christmas preacher here in the form of Mr. Mitchell and he would come and preach a Christmas message if we want one. So uh, I don't know if we should have a show of hands or just keep running with Peter. Anyway, we're going to finish Peter today, at least this section of it. And uh, uh, whether I'm ever invited back again or not, I don't know. But if I am, I'll I'll have to think about whether I do something else or whether I... um, look at some of the events that took place in Peter's life beyond this. Some interesting events actually did take place in Peter's life beyond the incident that we want to look at today. Um, His refusal to eat with Gentiles in Antioch and uh, the row that erupted in the church in the aftermath of that is a hugely interesting event. Um, his preaching on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people converted. Um, that's another great incident in the life of Peter. But today we're going to look at John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, and he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Let's just pray together, uh, please. Father, as we still our hearts in your presence now, we ask that you will help us as we turn again to uh, a character study of this great disciple, Peter. And as we think about him meeting with Jesus in the aftermath of his failure uh, along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, we pray that you will come and minister to us and speak to us and Bless us, Lord, and do us good as we spend time with each other, but more importantly, around your word in all of us, and preacher included. We place ourselves under the authority of this book, and we pray, Lord, that you uh, will direct us and guide us and speak into our lives. And we ask this in the Saviour's name. Amen. Well, the last time that we looked at Peter, uh, we thought about him ending up on the spiritual scrap heap. You remember that Jesus had gathered with his disciples in the upper room on the eve of his crucifixion. And in that upper room, he had said to his disciples, all of you are going to fall away on account of me tonight. All of you, without exception, will fall away on account of me tonight. And you remember it was Peter who retorted and said, no, 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 that's not true. That will never be true of me. It might be true of them, but it won't be true of me. I'll lay my life down. I'll go to prison for you. I'll lay down my life for you. Remember how he responded to Jesus? But that night, 
When they left the upper room, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was arrested and eventually dragged off to the high priest's house for questioning. And there in the courtyard of the high priest's house, a little servant girl recognized Peter and said to him, Don't I know you? Aren't you one of that Galilean preacher's disciples? Haven't I seen you with him? And it's a question of identity. Who are you, Peter? And when you deny your identity, then you'll crumble like a pack of cards, fall like a pack of cards. And Peter said, no, no, I don't know him. Not once, but on three separate occasions, he denied all association with Jesus. When he was pressed, who are you? Who really are you? He said, I don't know this man. I swear to you, I don't know this man. And it's a powerful question, isn't it? Who are you? Who are you? That's the question of all questions for all of us. That will determine how we live. That will determine the things that we say, the places that we go. Who are we? Are we people who have been called by God's grace into his family, into the body of Christ? And are we now disciples of Jesus? And if we're prepared to admit who we are, if we're prepared to own our true identity, that will determine everything. But Peter wasn't able to and wasn't willing to. And so he denied Jesus. And Jesus looked at him. Remember, just as the rooster crowed, Jesus looked at him. And what a look that must have been, a look that communicated disappointment. More than disappointment, I think it was a look that communicated grace, but it was a look that communicated disappointment. Peter, you said that you would go to prison for me. You said that you would lay down your life for me. And here you are denying me before a little servant girl. And we're told in the Bible that Jesus went out and wept bitterly. And we can understand why he wept out, went out and wept bitterly, can't we? He must have felt a complete failure. He must have felt like he was destined for the spiritual scrap heap. He must have felt in his heart of hearts that he would never recover from that. But the wonderful thing about Jesus is that we don't have to take failure as final. That Jesus can give us a new beginning. That's the great thing with Jesus. He can give us a new beginning and he gave Peter a new beginning. And somewhere on Easter Sunday he met with Peter and we know that because when the two that were on the Emmaus road got back to Jerusalem, remember? And they had met with Jesus, Jesus walked with them and they didn't know who it was. When they got back to Jerusalem, we know that uh, they found the twelve believing in the resurrection. Why? Because he had appeared to Peter. And uh, he had appeared to others, the women, but he had appeared to Peter. And the transformation that they saw in Peter, they realized that Jesus was alive. And we should never take failure as final in the Christian life. Never. What a meeting that must have been between Peter and Jesus, wherever it happened. A meeting of confession. A meeting of repentance. Lord, I'm sorry that I'm such a failure. Would you ever take this sorry, sad life of mine and turn it around? And a meeting of restoration. Peter, I can forgive you. And I I can restore you. 
And now you're going to have to restore yourself. You're going to have to forgive and restore yourself. A great meeting in many senses. And uh, that's the great thing about Jesus. He can give us a new start. And maybe you're here and you feel a bit of a failure. You feel a bit of a failure. You feel as if you've goofed up this week big time. And, and you wonder where in the world you would ever go to start again. Just come to the feet of Jesus. That's where we start again. Well, I've got three things that I want to try and pull out of this text for you. Three things. First of all, lessons about Peter's Lord. This story of Jesus meeting with his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. This is the next incident in Peter's life. And I think that during this period of 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, 40 day period, Jesus met with his disciples in a variety of places and in a variety of settings and in a variety of ways to teach them lessons that they still needed to learn because Jesus could have gone straight, ascended straight to the Father immediately on his resurrection but he's coming and going between heaven and earth for 40 days before he finally ascends permanently uh, into his father's presence. And the reason for that is that the disciples still have truth that they need to discover. They still lessons that they need to learn. They still don't fully understand the significance of the cross. And the lights haven't been turned on in their brain in regard to the resurrection and the significance of that. So Jesus meets with them and ministers to them and, and takes the veil from their eyes and switches the lights on as it were and teaches them things that they still need to learn so there are three lessons I'm going to pull out of this text here's the first one lessons about his Lord secondly lessons about his love and thirdly there's two lessons about his life so first of all a couple of lessons that they need to learn about Jesus their Lord so lessons about their Lord two of them here's the first one They need to discover that Jesus still rules and reigns. He is still sovereign. Death has not changed him. That's what they need to learn about Jesus. You see, prior to the crucifixion, it was clear that Jesus was someone special. Not many people could stand on a boat and speak to the winds and the waves and see the winds and waves obey the command of his, of his voice. Not many people could do that. Not many people could stand outside the grave of a man that had been dead for four days. And with a voice of authority command, Lazarus, come forth. And then there's this shaking in the tomb and out comes Lazarus. Not many people could do that. Not many people could take a little boy's lunch and break it and break it and break it and multiply it and feed 5,000 men besides women and children. And if every man had a wife, there's 10,000. If every couple had one child, there's 15,000 people before you blink. Not many people could feed that crowd of people with a little boy's lunch. So prior to the crucifixion, it was clear that Jesus was worth serving, was worth following, was worth telling other people about. He was worth bringing people to. Bringing people to introduce them to this Jesus. That was clear. It was a no-brainer. But what were they to make of Jesus now? He had been carried off apparently helplessly to his death. And even now in his resurrected state, 
What were they to make of Jesus? Sometimes he was here and sometimes he was gone. Was he still the same person? Did he still have the same authority? Did he still have the same power? I mean, one minute he might be in a room, the next minute he would be gone. And, and who knows where you would see him next? How do you tell the world about a Jesus like that? So Jesus moves to demonstrate his authority. They'd been out fishing all night. They're so confused, these disciples, that they went back to their old trade of fishing. So perplexed, so confused, so don't know what to make of Jesus. They go back to their old trade of fishing. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Seven of them say, I'm, we'll, we'll go with you. Or six of them say, we'll go with you. Seven of them, I think, together. And they'd been fishing all night and they caught nothing. And they come back into the shore and there's a stranger standing on the shore and they don't recognize the stranger. Don't know why they don't recognize the stranger. Did the stranger veil his identity? Was there a veil over their eyes? I don't know why they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. I mean their eyesight couldn't have been that bad. But somehow mysteriously they didn't know it was Jesus. And this stranger shouts out to them, have you caught any fish? Now that's a painful question if you've been fishing and you haven't caught anything. If you've been out fishing all day and you come home and your wife says, well did you catch anything? And you have to say with your head down, no I'm sorry I didn't catch anything. It's a bit painful isn't it? These men had been fishing all night and they'd caught nothing. And this stranger says, well throw your nets on to the other side of the right side of the boat. Now it didn't make much sense because it was the morning and it was bright. They were now in the shallow waters. Fish wouldn't be swimming around in the shallow waters. It would see the boats and, and, it, would scamp, and, and it would scamper you fish in the deep waters, in the darkness when the fish can't see you on the Lake of Galilee. It made no sense to do what the stranger was asking them to do, but they did it. Not to offend the stranger, if nothing else, it would wash the nets and they throw their net out. And they pull them in, and what do you know, a whole shoal of fish swam straight into their nets. A whole shoal of fish, 153 fish, swam straight into their nets. And it was John, I think, that was sitting beside Peter, and he nudges Peter, and he says, that's Jesus. Because only Jesus could give a command with a result like that. And what a lesson for Peter. Peter... You may have thought that I was dragged off helplessly to my death, but that's not the full story. I'm still the same sovereign saviour that I always was. And at my command, Peter, at my command, a whole shoal of fish can swim right into your nets. I'm still the Lord of the universe, Peter. Death has not changed me. And I want to say this to you that in the 21st century the centuries that have gone by since Christ walked amongst, among us have not changed him he is the same sovereign saviour that he was when he stood on a boat and spoke to the winds and waves and he is still worth telling people about he is still worth introducing people to and rather than walk around apologizing for the fact that we are Christians and embarrassed about the fact that we are Christians, hiding in a corner about the fact that we are Christians, we ought to stand a little taller for Jesus. Who would compare to Jesus? Where will you find anyone like Jesus? He is the sovereign of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is still worth serving. 
Well, here's the second thing that I want you to think about in, in relation to lessons about his, their, their Lord. And that is that he still knows and he still cares. He still rules and he still reigns, but he still knows and he still cares. So you've been out fishing all night, these disciples. Well, let me just back up a little bit. Not only, only were they confused about Jesus, they didn't know what to make of Jesus. But in their minds, they must have wondered, what does Jesus make of us? Because it was one of our number that betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. All of us deserted him. I mean, where were the 12 when his body was to be taken down from the cross? Where were the 12? Why was it left to two rank outsiders, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus? Where were the 12 that he had invested in for three years, at least two and a half years, poured himself into? Where were the 12 when his body was to be taken down from the cross and laid in the tomb? Why was it left to those two men? They must have wondered, what does Jesus make of us? I mean, if you had been Jesus and you were thinking about world mission and thinking about setting up a team to change the world, wouldn't you have been tempted to wash your hands of these 12 and start all over again? Just go and find, you know, 12 new disciples and and forget about these bunch of failures. They must have wondered, what does Jesus think of us? And Jesus moves to demonstrate not only his authority, but his love for them in such a practical, tangible, down-to-earth way. You've been fishing all night. What would you need most when you come back in in the morning? You're throwing those huge nets out over the side of the boat and hauling them in, throwing them out, hauling them in. All night this went on. Must have, Peter must have looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think, from the waist up at least. But what would you need most when you come in, apart from a good sleep? And that's obvious, you would need a sleep if you've been working all night. I'll tell you what, you'd need a good breakfast, wouldn't you? A good breakfast. And there's something terribly humbling about this picture. When the second member of the Trinity, the God of glory, gets down on his knees and lights a fire and cooks these twelve failures, eleven, seven failures, breakfast. Isn't there something very humbling about that? Something very moving about that? There's something very touching about that. And it's like Jesus is saying to these disciples, as you contemplate a life of service... And he's just about to call them to get back on, on with the task of feeding his sheep and tending to his lambs. And as you think about that, and as you think about the needs surrounding that, I, I want you to know, Peter, I still know what you need. And I can still meet those needs. I know that you're hungry after a night's fishing. I know that you're, you're just longing for a bite of breakfast. I know that. And I can provide it, and I will provide it, and he does provide it. And the encouragement thing for you and I is, you know, I I don't know everyone here, and I I don't know what you've been through, I don't know what you're working through, I don't know the stuff that's going on in your life. Some of you might have gone to see the doctor this week and sat across the table and he told you that you had a tumour. I have no idea what any of you have been through, but I want you to know this, Jesus knows And Jesus loves and Jesus cares more than you will ever know. And Jesus can provide just what you need when you need it. Just as he knew exactly what Peter needed. 
He knows what you need. He knows all about the strength you need to face tomorrow and the next day. And he can provide that strength. Jesus knows our needs and can meet our needs. So two lessons about this Lord. Peter, Jesus is still sovereign and Jesus is still sensitive. And I want you to take those two things away with you uh, this morning. Next, three lessons about Peter's love. Three lessons about his love. Simon, son of Jonas, once breakfast is over and they're sitting around the fire. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, son of Jonas, or John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? You know, that question, do you love me, is at the very heart of the Christian experience. I was reading a book uh, this week by Sinclair Ferguson, a good Scot. And uh, in that book, he was just making the point that we often think about the holiness of God. And we think of the holiness of God as God being separate from. But does that mean that in eternity past, God wasn't holy because there was nothing to be separate from? In eternity past, there was nothing but the Trinity. And their purity existed and expressed itself in their devotion for each other. Their love, the love that was shared within the context of the Trinity. And so this takes us right to the very core of the Christian experience. It's not about do we do stuff. It's not about do we go places. It's about do we love Jesus. So three questions. Do you love me more than these? What does he mean when he says, do you love me more than these? More than these. Some people think he's referring to the fishing boats and fishing nets that Peter is surrounded by because Peter's a fisherman and he loves fishing. And he loves his fishing business. And he's gone back fishing. Why has he gone back fishing? Jesus didn't call them from his fishing boat many two and a half, three years ago. Why has he gone back fishing? Peter, do you love me? Do you still love me more than your fishing boats or fishing nets? Or have those things crept in and taken my place on the throne of your heart? Great question, isn't it? You know, I, I'm a father of five children, and I, I, I uh, have all kinds of stuff going on in my life at, at nearly 50 years of age. Not quite, but nearly. Um, and I have to stop and ask myself this question once in a while. Is Jesus still my number one priority? Or have other things crept in and taken his place? And he's no longer the priority of my heart and life. Do you love me more than these fishing boats? Do you love Jesus more than anything and everything? Your house, your lifestyle, your family, your interests, your hobbies. What is the passion of your life? Do you love me more than these? But I don't actually think that that is the question that Jesus is asking Peter. Because I think when he says to Peter, do you love me more than these? I think he means more than these other disciples. Because just a few nights earlier, remember in that upper room he said, no, no, that won't be true of me. That won't be true of me, no way. They might. I can see that they will deny you. I can see that they'll fall away on account of you, but not me. I mean, I'm Mr. Super Spiritual. I'm the pick of the pile. I love you more than anyone else. I'm just fabulous. Don't you love me? And I I think Jesus is saying to Peter in the aftermath of that failure, So Peter, 
Do you love me more than these? Like, really? After all that you've been through, can you see that you are as dependent on my grace as they are? Can you see that left to your own devices, you will fall flat on your spiritual face every time? Peter, can you see that you're not the super spiritual hero that you thought you were? That you're just a sinner saved by grace and absolutely dependent on grace to survive. Sometimes I wish that that we had a good dose of humility. A good dose of humility because sometimes as I move around Christian circles I meet Christians whose heads are so big. It's a wonder they can find a point of equilibrium which allows them to stand upright. And some of us need a good dose of humility and, and left because the truth is, the truth is, left to myself, left to myself, I'll fall flat on my spiritual face every time. I'm just dependent, absolutely dependent on God's grace. Here's the second question it's, do you love me more than these? Second time that Jesus asks him this question, he says, do you love me? And this time he doesn't say, do you love me more than these? He just asks the straightforward question, do you love me? Do you love me? Now, there's a lot of discussion uh, in commentaries about the Greek language that is used and Jesus used agape and uh, Peter responded with philia uh, uh, so Jesus said do you love me with agape love and Peter responded by saying uh, I love you with philia love that is Philadelphia the city of brotherly love so I, I love you with friendship love I love you with brotherly love but I'm not sure that I have agape love I think all of that is uh, overstated so you'll, you'll have to forgive me if, if someone has come and preached on that last Sunday George Mitchell or someone like that you'll just have to forgive me for that um, because I'll tell you why I think that I think that in 2 Samuel thirteen fourteen it says that Amnon Amnon loved Tamar and, and it says that he loved her with agape love in the Septuagint which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament it says that he loved her with agape love but he raped her so there's nothing special about this word as I can see it I think it's just interchanging the word. And I think Jesus is just asking Peter a straightforward question. Just a simple question. Don't complicate it. Do you love me, Peter? When we strip away all of the bombastic claims that you made about yourself and how great you were and how they would, but you wouldn't. Here we are in the aftermath of your spiritual failure. And I want you to search your heart, Peter, and I want you to answer this question. Do you love me? Because that's what the Christian life is. It's about a love relationship with Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, loving Jesus. Do you love me, Peter? There are many people who move around Christian circles and they run with the right crowd. They say the right things. They use the right lingo. They can turn phrases like redeemed and all kinds of phrases like that. They show up in the right places. But underneath the surface, underneath the surface, I think when you strip all of that external stuff away, I wonder if they really do love Jesus. So the question is, do do you love me, Peter? Do you love to talk to do you love to talk to Jesus? Do you love to read about him? Do you love serving him? Is it just a delight for you to serve him? Do you love to sing to him and sing about him? 
Is Jesus the passion of your life? And then the third question that Jesus asks Peter is this. Simon, son of uh, John, do you love me? He asks him a third time, do you love me? And it is interesting that this time Jesus even uses the word philia. And whatever you want to make of that, here's the point I think that Jesus is is trying to make. He, He wants Peter to be absolutely sure that he loves Jesus. Because you know what I think? I think Peter could spend the rest of his life second guessing himself. You know, do I love Jesus? Don't I love Jesus? If I love Jesus, why did I disown him? Um, am, I, am I another Judas Iscariot? All external? No heart? No reality? Peter could have spent the rest of his life second guessing himself. So Jesus asks him three times because Jesus wants him to put this matter beyond dispute. Jesus wants Peter to settle this now and forever. Peter, do you love me? Three times I've asked you. I want you to search your heart. I want you to be sure, sure, sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you do love me even if your love is not... The flame it should be. I want you to be convinced in your heart that there is a flame of devotion in, in your heart for me. That, that's what I want you to take from this, life of, uh, this study of the life of Peter more than anything else. If you never remember another thing that I've said, ever, ever. And if I never come to Moody Spurn again, if, if you remember that one question. Do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? That, that will mean everything to me. Do I love Jesus? Do I know Jesus? Is Jesus at the center of my life? Because one day Jesus is coming back again. And to a whole bunch of people he is going to say, I never knew you. We didn't have a relationship. We didn't have a love relationship. And that will be a disaster. If that day comes and Jesus says to you, I I never knew you. I want you in your heart to know, I do love Jesus. Sometimes my love is not as strong as it should be. But in my heart, I do love Jesus. I love to talk to him. I love to read about him. I love to sing to him. I love to tell other people about him. Jesus is the priority of my life. Last thing, and with this I'm finished. uh, Two lessons about Peter's life. Two lessons about Peter's life. One is in relation to his calling. Jesus says to Peter after every question, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well then feed my lambs. Do you love me? You know that I love you. Well then tend my sheep. Do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Well then feed my sheep. It's interesting to notice how Jesus describes these sheep. They're not Peter's sheep, they're his sheep. And any pastor has any responsibility within the context of the church needs to remember that. They're not his sheep, they're they're Jesus' sheep. And he better be really careful how he cares for Jesus' sheep because Jesus will be holding him to account. That's just a little useless aside, but it's an important point, isn't it? But here is the point. Two and a half years ago, Jesus called him from fishing for fish. And now Peter has gone back to it. So Jesus is saying to Peter, if you really love me, 
then it's time for you to pick up with the task that I called you to. And I called you to tend to my sheep, feed my lambs, care for my people. And, and I, that's what I want you to devote your life to. Not, not fishing for fish. Nothing wrong with fishing for fish if that's what Jesus wants you to do. But Jesus wanted Peter to be a fisher of men. To pour himself into caring for converts, Christians, the church. You see what a fantastic job Peter did of that when he later wrote his first epistle and second epistle and so on. You read about the stalwart that he became in the early church as he ministered to the sheep. And I wonder if you're here and you've kind of got off task a bit with the stuff that Jesus wanted you to do. There were things that you used to do. But you've stopped doing them. You've gone back to some old stuff. And do you need to pick up again this morning and say, Yeah, I do love you, Jesus. And yes, I am going to do the things that you want me to do. Maybe teaching in Sunday school, helping with youth, helping with the cafe, praying. Maybe you used to pray diligently for your grandchildren, for your own children. But now you never pray. Do you need to, if, if Jesus is the number one priority in your life, do you need to pick up with some of the things that, he used to, that you used to do and that he wants you to do? Well, finally, there's a few lessons about uh, Peter's dying, isn't there? Verse 18 of this passage, Jesus says to him, when you were young, you were able to go wherever you wanted to go. So there's lessons about his calling and there's lesson, lessons about his dying. When you were young, you wanted to go wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, they will come and dress you and force you to go where you don't want to go. Jesus was speaking about the kind of death that Peter would one day die. He would die a martyr's death. And tradition has it that he died uh, in Rome, crucified in Rome, uh, tradition has it that he didn't want, he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way that his master and Lord was crucified. So they said, well, we could fix that. And they crucified him upside down. Actually, tradition has it, I read this recently, that, that he was in prison with his wife. And they came and dragged his wife out of the cell first. And as they dragged his wife away, he called after her, Remember the Lord. What a thing to say to your wife as she's been carried off to be executed. Remember the Lord, love. Remember what Jesus did for you. And don't deny him. And make sure that you stand tall for him, even if it costs you your life. Well, I look at that and I think, My oh my. Jesus is predicting that he'll die a martyr's death. What's the significance of that? And here's what I think the significance of that is. I think the significance of that is just a few nights earlier, before a little servant girl, Peter was unwilling to identify himself with Jesus. Just a few nights earlier, he said, I don't know Jesus. But Jesus is going to so change him, he is going to be so transformed by the grace of God that one day he'll be willing to lay down his life as a martyr for Jesus. Even if it costs him his life, he will still refuse to deny Jesus. See, Jesus is going to change him. That's what I think the significance of this is. And the significance of, of this for you and for me is this. We can change 
We don't have to be the same cantankerous, grumbling rascal that we are now, 20 years from now, 10 years from now. We can be radically different, going in a completely different direction by the grace of God. We can become the people that God wants us to be. So don't admit defeat. Don't lie down and say, I can can never be what God wants me to be. By the grace of God you can. If God's grace transformed Peter from a doubter and a denier into somebody who is prepared to encourage his wife to lay down her life for the Lord and then follow her and be crucified upside down, then so can we be changed by God's grace. So the big question in this passage is, is simply this. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? More than anything else, is he the priority of your heart and life? Because that's what the Christian life is. It's not about simply going to church. And it's a good thing to go to church. It's not about all the stuff that we do externally. At its very core, at its core, that's what it's about. Do I love Jesus? Do I know Jesus personally? And do I love him? Is he the passion of my life? Do I love to talk to him, read about him, sing to him, sing about him, serve him, tell others about him? Do I love Jesus? I hope so. I pray so. And I pray that when Jesus comes back again, he'll recognize you as somebody who really did know him and really did love him. Thank you for your kind attention, not just today, but over this series in in Peter. I've appreciated coming and uh, sharing with you and thanks for your patience with me.